Welcome to the Big Golf Show. I'm your host, Nick Andreco, along with Eric Arbe. Eric, how are you doing today? Doing fabulous. How about yourself, Nicholas? Uh, doing well as normal, but excited today for today's show because we got, um, as you know, we're always talking technology, marketing, and mentoring, even throw some business in there. And we have the reigning uh, champion of the world, PGA Professional of the Year, Michael Doctor, on the show today. Uh, Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. Very well. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Michael, for uh, for people listening that don't know your background or how you came to be, can you give us a little, uh, little background about uh, the position you currently hold, what club you're at, and uh, kind of just a little backstory how you got there? Sure. Uh, well, I'm at the uh, Skinny Atlas Country Club in Skinny Atlas, New York, and I've been at Skinny Atlas now for uh, starting my 30th season. And uh, mainly I got into the golf business. Uh, my dad was a uh, golf professional, PGA member, and my uncle Steve played the tour. He was a PGA member for a number of years in the Mets section. And, uh, you know, so it's in the family. All my dad's brothers, and they were all scratch players and golf pros. And uh, uh, so uh, working for my dad, growing up in the business, it was something I always wanted to do. I told my dad when I was in fourth grade I was going to be a PGA member. And uh, his words to me were, uh, no matter what you do in life, be the best you can be at it. And uh, it's all I've ever wanted to do. And uh, so right from there, I I caddied. I worked in the bag room, worked in the pro shop, uh, had some nice assistance jobs. I actually worked at Jupiter Hills in Florida for a while, and I worked at Forest Gate Country Club in New Jersey. And I had a couple uh, head pro jobs before Skinny Atlas, but uh, so far this has been home. I've never been anywhere uh, in my life this long, so it's it's been a great ride here. Wow, thirty years—that's that's quite an accomplishment at the same club. Michael, that's, you know, uh, it, it's it's something that you know when you start out. I mean, I—they're I, great people to work for. I knew that when they hired me, and but you never think that you're going to be someplace for 30 years and uh but they've been so good to me and they've allowed me to pursue my dreams of being involved with the pga of america and uh on a section level and a national level and uh never questioning my time away from the club for those activities and uh extremely supportive and it's a great family club uh with wonderful people to work for Michael, I can't remember where I read the story. It might have been in your in the write up for PJ Magazine, um, in that issue. But didn't you get the job there based on a, something with, to do with junior golf and kind of your vision for the junior golf program? Well, so, it was pretty interesting when well, I was actually playing in a golf tournament in Albany, New York, and uh, a person handed me this flyer and, and said that they weren't interested in it, and I had no, I had no plans to make a job change and i read the flyer and on the flyer it said uh, extremely strong junior golf background and so when i got home i looked showed my wife and she said you know this job is you so i sent in a resume which was actually a very late resume it was one of the last ones in the door and uh fortunate to get an interview And when i came out i had prepared a uh, junior golf program for the club and when we started talking junior golf, I handed out uh, this portfolio or pamphlet, and I showed all the junior golf stuff I had done at my club in uh, Gloversville, New York. 
and what I had done on a section level, and we and I talked about their program, and I actually did some research and found out what some of their issues were at the club with their junior golf program. And as we went through the interview, I asked them uh, if we could, uh, on Mondays, have the golf course and pro shop and have it available strictly for junior golfers. And uh, one of the people on the interviewing committee said that, oh, we could never shut the course down on a Monday morning just for kids. And I, my comment in the interview, which I couldn't believe came out of my mouth, was, and I guess you, you really don't want a junior golf program. <laughs> and uh, he looked at me and he said, no, we do. And I said, well, for me to do a junior golf program, I need to put all my attention to the kids. I, I don't have time to uh, be taking care of other uh people at the club at that time and we're asking for the kids to have Monday morning their golf course their time and uh, the board approved it and so ever since I came here Mondays we've been closed for junior golf and actually if you you juniors can play all day Monday they if they have the ability to go around the course they can play it as often as they want and the course is theirs for the day. It, it does open at noon for other players, but those players know that it's junior golf day. So how, how is the, obviously the members there really support that, but is that something that you would recommend other private clubs um, looking into? And is that, do you think that's kind of philosophies for everybody? You know, I really think in, in, in my time here, and, and I've said this, I've, I've helped other clubs with their programs and, I really think that you have to have a, a, a time that the, the professional staff can spend with the juniors and devote their time to the juniors and those parents of those juniors. And I, I never understood why uh, clubs try to do junior golf programs on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Friday when there's all this other play on a course and try to work around that. and. There's, there's no question it's, it's a strain on the, on the golf shop staff because you're asking them to, to really be there on a Monday, and, and most, most golf professionals play golf events on Mondays. They play tournaments. But I think you have to find, if it can't be a Monday, if it has to be another day, you have to get the club to allow you to have that golf course, whether it's just nine holes or, but also having a driving range, uh, being able to have spots to do clinics and not have any interference from uh, any other play on the golf course. You, your total attention is to those kids, and uh, I really think it's it's the way to to the kids know that you have their attention and or that you're there for them. And uh, I really think it's very important that, that clubs start to look at doing this. And it doesn't have to be a Monday, but if you're going to do a junior golf program on a Wednesday then at least give the golf pro and his staff nine holes and say this is for them. This, they have the course until noontime to do whatever they want to do on it and, and let them run their program. Well, you know, Michael, a good friend of ours, and a good he did the show in uh, he did season one, was Brendan Elliott. And I think you've referenced him, and you've, you know Brendan pretty well. Yes, you know, I, I know of Brendan through this, these things that I've read about him and uh, on Facebook and his in his websites, and I've met Brendan a couple of times. I don't know him real well, but what he's doing with junior golf is is just fantastic. I I think he has uh, really taken it to a whole new level. 
Yeah, those are some pretty kind words from professional of the year there. Uh, I'll make sure. Well, he, make sure. <laughs> I'll tell you, when yeah. you look at what he's doing, he's got the right idea. And there's a lot of people like him out there. Um, Nicole Weller, she, she's doing a phenomenal job with junior golf. I was just watching her uh, her, her video the other day from, from the national awards meeting or uh, awards night. And my gosh, she, she's just, she's just hitting a home run with junior golf. And this is what has to be done at clubs. This is what we need to do. And unfortunately, I don't think it's being done enough throughout the country, uh, at clubs right now. I think that, you know, as I said to the gentleman in my interview, uh, the club has to want junior golf. They can't just say they want junior golf. They have to want junior golf, and the staff has to produce it. And and the people who are being successful are having the support of their clubs. Well, yeah, you, Michael, you're going there, sir. Yeah, no, I was going to say, Nick, any, any club that I've worked at, I know, has not really received the full attention that you think a junior golf program should. So that's, that's really interesting you say that, Michael, because – you know, when I was an assistant, you know, you were always in charge of the, the junior golf program and you always kind of get shoved to the side of the range and you're watching out for members when they're playing or you're trying to jump on a hole here or there. And uh, so that, that really brings to light the fact that junior golf should be at the forefront, you know, it should be uh, more priority put on it. Nick, I'm sure you've had the same experience at some of the clubs you've worked at working with the junior programs. Uh, yeah, we you know we were big in when I was doing green grass stuff a handful of years ago. We did a lot of camps. I mean, we, I think we did eight of them throughout the entire summer, but uh, week after week. But I don't know, like why, Michael? I'd love to hear your thoughts on why don't private clubs maybe put that emphasis on that enough? Is it because they kids are a bother? Is that is that the mentality? Like they're in my way because they're you know they're doing things on the golf course that they maybe shouldn't be doing, or they're playing too slow or or, or what, what what are the reasons you think that some of these courses or some of these clubs maybe just don't want to focus on that well yeah. i, I I'll is, that, to, is that a fair I, question I think, <laughs> I think it's a great question and and i i hope i don't offend any pga professionals out there with my comment but i think it has to start with the golf professional if if i wouldn't have sat there and and said to the, what i did that that must be you really don't want a program, uh, we wouldn't be closed on Monday morning for junior golfers. I'd be doing just what you said. I'd be in the corner of the range, or I'd be trying to get the kids onto a hole here or a hole there and trying to work around other play on the golf course. And I think it has to start with the professional staff. I think, uh, you know, whether you, you know, go to your general manager, uh, go to your golf chairman, uh, lay out the program, tell them what you want to do, and that you really want to develop golfers. And you have to convince that uh, golf committee and the board of directors that they're the future uh, of the game. They're the future members of your facility. And if private clubs, which are struggling now, a lot of private clubs are struggling, they need to look at that, and they need to see, is, okay, is, is four hours on a Monday or a Wednesday morning really going to cause so much trouble that you can't run a program? So I, think it's a, I really think it has to start with the professional staff going and selling the program to the, to the golf committee and then to the board of directors. And I can't think of too many clubs who... Who, who, if they looked at it, and, and every club has, I mean, 
you know, we have people join our club because we're a family-oriented facility, uh, not just on the golf course, but on the we have a lake, we have tennis, we have sailing, and all these things uh, are done. And the kids have the tennis courts when they have tennis clinics, and the kids have sailing. They're totally their own program. So why wouldn't golf want to do the same thing? I think it's. I think it has to start with the golf pro, and I think you have to push for it. And I think a lot of clubs would be very willing to say, "Okay, fine, we'll give you we'll give you those four or five hours a week, and let our kids on that golf course because you can now make it fun and not have to worry about, oh, here's some here come some golfers, let's all step aside. Uh, we're out there with them. We don't have to deal with that. We're, we're they have our total attention. Uh, for that morning, and uh, we also do clinics on Tuesday evenings, which we have the driving range, a part of the driving range tee where we do other clinics, and then we do golf camps, and my club works very well with me on my golf camps. My golf camp, uh, usually I, I limit it to the first eight kids to sign up. We, we have clinic in the morning. We play golf. We play nine holes, and we meet at the halfway house. We have uh, lunch together, and we go over the rules and uh, of the club. We go over golf rules. We go over etiquette, and we're spending three days with those kids, and we're having a great time. And we're playing golf with them. Uh, we also play, and uh, we have a great time with them. And I think that's. I think it has to start with the staff. Well, on that, um, or in relation to that, is uh, I think you were the absolute probably one of the perfect people that to talk with this topic about is the generations because obviously your father uh was in how how long was he a professional for my dad was was a pga member for 47 years so for a very long time so your 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 father did that for you know obviously a career did that in his entire career and then and then Mm -hmm. you picked that up and i know your son is i think down in pennsylvania is that correct Yes, he is. he's at Chester Valley Golf Club in Philadelphia. So, so you have three generations there of PGA professionals, in your opinion, and I don't, you know, I'm not, uh, we're big on this over here. Um, how, and we're not picking on the youth or picking on the older guys, but how do you think it's changed from your father when he started, um, you know, year, year one of 47 to, to what your son is doing now? I mean, is, do you think that, um, those are two completely different professionals in the way that they approach the business. I just, Oh, I think it's, uh, I think it's changed dramatically. Um, you know, in my dad's day, um, golfers came, they, they were coming out of the, out of the woods. I mean, they were, Arnold Palmer came on the scene. People got hooked on golf. They were, you didn't have to go and find golfers. They were coming to you. They came for lessons. They came to to support the club. Uh, golf was a, a priority to the to the male member of the family, and that was you know in my dad's day, all the guys played golf on Saturday and Sunday, and the doctors all played and lawyers on Wednesdays. And I think that you know they, they were joining clubs. They just came in. I want to join. Today you have uh, uh, you have to really have a product, and you have to work twice as hard to to bring members into your club, and you have to have uh, a facility that is geared 
to service, not just to that male member, but to the whole family. You, you have to have things for the kids to do, the wife to do, the husband to do. You know, I think what I see, you know, we, we have people come through our club now to join, and when they're walking through with the general manager, they're walking through as a family. The wife is there, the kids are there, uh, and they're seeing the facility as well. And when they leave, they're probably going to go down the road and check out the other private facility, and they're going to go through there as a family. And they're going to make a decision as a family as to which club they're going to join. And I think it's important that uh, you know that we understand that we have to, we have to we ha- we have to go out and get those members. We have to do things to bring people into the facility, and we have to be the best that we can be in the area. And if if you're going to say you're a family club, you better be a family club. You better offer all the things that uh, that the, the kids need. Example: We have a three day. Uh, for three days during the week, for eight weeks, we have a day camp program. And the kids come from kindergarten all the way up to, I think, it's eighth grade. And they have archery and they have sailing and they have swimming lessons. And uh, there's, there's a snack bar available to them. They have arts and crafts, basketball. And they're there in their groups, and the kids are having a great time. And they have tennis lessons during the week and, of course, golf. But we're, we're selling that as a family program and selling the club as a family club, and we'll, but we're coming through and we're, we're making sure they have activities for the whole family. And I think that's what they're looking for in the, when they join a club today. They're not just joining a club for dad to play golf. So it's, uh, it is different. It's a lot different than it used to be. Yeah, I think, Michael, that, that kind of same principle holds true for a lot of businesses these days, especially with the advent of technology and um, mm-hmm. you know businesses overall becoming more competitive. Like you said, the club needs to offer all these things that people kind of demand now. It's, it's yeah, yeah, I, was, I was talking to a friend of mine, and, and he's at a, a, a facility, I believe it's in, uh, in Georgia, and what they did at, one, at his place to create interest in bringing families to dinner they bought a bunch of iPads. And so when a family comes to eat, and you know how little kids want to move around, well, they actually have a spot where the kids can sit and play with these iPads or sit at the table and play with iPads while the parents are having dinner uh, at a club. And wow. And it's been, it's been a total home run. And he said, you know, it was an investment, but... When they sit down at that table, and instead of a box of crayons, all these kids know how to work an iPad. And there's games all set up on it, and they can sit there, and they can just sit and play if they want to. and Or they can sit in the lobby and play with it. And I thought that was a great idea. You know, to, if you want to bring somebody into the club, and you want the parents to come to dinner, well, they'll they probably come to dinner if the kids can be entertained a little bit, you know, so... One of the things we're going to do this year for the first time to try to get our couples league, uh, more of the younger people in it, is we're actually working right now to try to put together a, a babysitting service during couples league where you can actually bring your kids to the club and there'll be a spot set up and we'll have uh, people there to watch the kids while you go out and play and come in and have dinner. 
there'll be a snack bar and stuff like that. And uh, we're working on that right now at the club. I was talking to my general manager just the other day about it. And that's going to be, that'd be a total home run for our couples league because the younger people may not come to the club if they have to go out, get a sitter, and, and, and pick the sitter up and, and everything else that goes with it. And also what we're doing with our couples league is it's you can play this week or next week. It doesn't matter. You're not tied to playing every week. But we think it's going to generate more people to come and play golf on Friday nights, and that's what we're after, to bring people to the club. So I think it's going to be a wow. total home run for us. I love hearing ideas like that. Those are fantastic ideas. Really. You know, it, we're very skewed because we talk to a lot of people that get it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so when, when we hear people like, you know, when we, when we do talk to people that, uh, you know, we'll get phone calls all day that, that, that are complaining the industry's in a bad place or the golf's not in a good place right now or things are struggling, um, they're not doing the things that I think a lot of the successful people are doing and like little ideas like the iPad or, or having the, you know, taking a risk. You know, I think too many people are, um, I'm definitely stereotyping and generalizing here, but are too, um, nervous about rocking the boat. You know, they have a nice, nice job at a private club. They don't want to get fired Mm -hmm. if they tick somebody off Mm -hmm. and, you know, do you think your father noticed that? You know, fifty years ago, do you think that he was nervous about rocking the boat, or is he just always trying to improve? And even yourself and your son included in that mix, are you guys worried about? Oh, if I if I suggest an iPad and it flops, I'm going to get canned. I mean, is that? Is I, that I have ever... to be honest. Well, first of all, my father nothing phased my dad. I mean, he <laughs> he was a totally different breed, but. Uh... <laughs> He he was the pro, the superintendent, and the manager. I mean, he ran the whole facility uh, at his place for for about twelve years. For when I was growing up with him, um, for myself, I have never, I, and I don't want to come across arrogant or anything. I have never worried about losing my job. Um, you know, you you have you're, they're they're paying you for your perfect for your expertise in the business. And you, you, when you're asked for, when you're, when you're part of that facility, you have to try to work with, with different people all the time. And I've had 19 different golf chair people, you know, and I've had 19 different personalities and you learn to work with those people. Um, but you're, you're there to, to make suggestions and to try to, uh, improve things, and sometimes they'll take your suggestion and they'll 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 run with it. And sometimes they'll look at you like you're from outer space, and and that's fine. I can accept that. Uh, but the industry is is struggling right now, and if the golf pro is not willing to to try to help out and and to come up with ideas, um, if you just sit there, that might backfire on you too. Because all of a sudden they say, well, what is he doing for us? What is he or she doing to generate rounds of golf? What's he or she doing to generate memberships? And he, you know, he or she hasn't come up with an idea in four years. We need we need some ideas. We need somebody who wants to be involved and excited about the industry. And so that can backfire on you. I've never worried about making suggestions or stating my opinion uh, that I would lose my job. I, that's. I, I again, I 
I, that just never crossed my mind that that would happen to me. And if it did, I guess then, you know, I, I'm on this end of it, so I guess I can say that. But, uh, but I never worried about it. Well, when it when it comes you know, to those, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. But, you know, a couple of years ago, um, you, you had mentioned earlier about how assistants got you. You know, they come in, they get the junior golf program, and uh, so you know, my junior golf program, I did. You know, my I ran with my assistants for a long, long time, and then about seven years ago. I decided, you know, maybe somebody younger on Monday mornings with the kids would be a better route to go. And so for two years, I had one of my assistants do the program. Now, I, I laid it out with him and everything, but I wasn't always there on Monday. And then I started getting feedback from, from members saying, you know, it's, it's just not, the program's dull. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not giving the kids what we think they need. So, I observed the. I came back in. I observed what we were doing, and then I went to a U.S. Kids uh, uh, certification program, and I wanted to see what was going on in other parts of the country. What can I do to to change what I'm doing with my junior golfers? What can I do to make it more fun? And so the last five years now, we we have had a total home run with junior golf because I restructured the whole thing. I kind of came. I brought myself up to date to what was happening in the industry. You know, we, we teach more by doing games. We teach more by having fun on the range as opposed to standing there and saying, okay, here's how you hold a golf club. And this is how you're going to stand. These kids, they like we hit water balloons and we, we do tic-tac-toe and we do games. And while they're doing them, we actually are instructing them as they go along, but they're having fun. So they're not standing there bored, and kids need that today. So I think you have to keep yourself up on what's going on, and you can't be afraid to make changes and think that it might cost you your job, or that you know, because that's what the membership is looking for. They're looking they're, now. They're now my membership is rave reviews again about my junior golf program. So for two years, I did, wasn't totally hands on, and it almost that almost backfired on me. But I made, then I made the changes. So, you know, I, I think you have to do that. Well, getting those ideas, um, I know we talk about it. We we do a monthly article in PJ Magazine called Digital Business, and we always, I feel like it's a, I'm a broken record, we always write about, you know, being open to new opportunities and, and learning all these new things and, and staying up to date, whether it's with social or, like you said, with juniors. What... Uh, I'm. I think. I, again, I'm, I'm really. I think I'm referencing this article in PJ Magazine. But did you? Did I not read somewhere that you you make a really a point in January of every year to really throw down some ideas that you really want to implement, and you see how those how those are going to pan out? Can you talk a little bit about that process? And sure, I, I worked for a gentleman in, in uh, Detroit, Michigan. His name was Ray Bolo, and uh, Ray would do at the end of the year. He would he would tell us that each one of us had to come, myself and the other assistant and the shop girl and Ray, each one had to have to come up with three ideas for next year. And we would then have a meeting and we would sit and each one would put their three ideas on the table. And when we left that meeting, there'd be three new things that we were going to do the following year. And Ray's feeling was some of these things will be a huge success 
Some of them might just absolutely bomb right out before they get started. And other ones will be, okay, it worked, it was fun, but maybe not, maybe it needs to be tweaked, maybe we need to do this to make it a little bit better. And so when I get to Labor Day, I usually give my staff an email and I tell them that it's time for them to sit down and think about next year. And I'd like them to share some of their ideas, their thoughts on, on what they think we could do to do, you know, to make things a little bit better. And they will, they have a month to do that. And then we'll sit down and we will take those ideas and we will try to put it together and come up with something that we will try. Like we, you know, one year we, uh, I sat down, I said, you know, this, this, this is going back probably 20 years now. And I said, this club doesn't have a senior club championship. You know, we have a club championship, but we have a lot of members who are seniors. Let's try a senior club championship. Well, it's now one, it's now more, it's, it's actually more popular now than the men's club championship. We run it in flights. It's a, it's a little different format, but it was a total home run. Um, you know, like going to, going to the U.S. Kids Certification Program, you know, I knew in that September, one of my, I knew I needed to make a change to junior golf and the way I was instructing it, the way I was, the things that I was doing. I need, I actually was the one that needed to be uh, rejuvenated and, 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 and come up with something that was going to work. And it, it was a total home run. You know, so those ideas, like I said, sometimes they'll fail. Sometimes uh, we tried one with a, we, we did a match play that totally fell on its face. I mean, we tried to do a two-ball match play throughout the season, and that was just the biggest bomb that ever happened. They're just they're, the matches never got done. Uh, it just it didn't work. You know, nobody was upset. Nobody got hurt by it. It was an idea. It just didn't it just didn't uh, work out as well as we wanted it to. So. You can't be afraid to to try new things, and uh, I like to have my staff. One of the reasons I like my staff involved in it is because well, pretty much everybody's younger than me now, and they go to PGM school and they go to these education programs, and they're constantly coming back with ideas and thoughts, and they heard this or they heard that, and um, you know, let's. I had one young man that worked for me. He just left this year, but phenomenal merchandiser. You know, and well, I, I, he did displays in the shop and stuff. To, you know, just a great job. He loved merchandising. And and my assistant Tony, who's been with me 13 years, he's a phenomenal person at running tournaments. So, you know, I'm always looking for Tony for new ideas for golf tournaments. And uh, we sit down, we talk about them, and, and you try them. What's the worst can happen? They don't they don't work out. Uh, but most of the time, the, the new ideas they they will. They'll materialize and, and they'll and they'll be better. Can I put you on the spot? Do you think you would have? Uh, do you think you would have gone out to that U.S. Kids if you didn't hear the complaints from parents? You know, I think I would have because I was going through. Um, in my own mind, I knew I I knew I had lost my motivation, um, and I love teaching. I love kids and. I, I knew there was I knew I probably had instincts that it, that it wasn't going as well as I wanted it to and I knew that I wanted to do something different um, 
and I was doing a lot of reading about junior golf that was going on around the country, and I started to, to say to myself, you know, you need some new ideas. And so, yes, I, I probably would have done that anyway um, because I wanted, to, I wanted to get myself back to being excited about teaching. And, uh, I don't, you know, when you're somewhere 30 years or you've been in the business, I've been in the business for 45 years, um, you hit highs and lows. And I had hit a point where I was just stagnant with my teaching and I wanted some new ideas. And I actually went down and watched Mike Bender teach, uh, the same year I was going to the show and I called Mike Bender up and I said, do you mind if I come and observe you teaching? He, he was phenomenal. He, he's absolutely spend the whole day we'll have lunch and everything and I spent probably three quarters of the day with him just watching him and picking up new ideas on, on teaching and uh, you know it, it was a, just a total home run for me to, to spend the day with him and to see some of the things that he was doing that I could incorporate into my teaching and when I came back that summer, people were saying, well, you're teaching a lot this year. And I never thought about it, but I was. I was back to teaching a lot of golf, and people liked what I was doing with targets because Mike's a big one with targets and stuff, and I had noodles all over the range and stuff like that. And I was excited again to be teaching. So I think you have to do that because I think if you don't recharge yourself, uh that can come back and hurt you at your facility because members will know that you've become too lax in, in your position and, and too comfortable in what you're doing. And so you need to get, you need to charge your batteries back up. Yeah. It's something that I, I think a lot of professionals, especially young ones, I feel like don't do what I, and I, I'm, I'm definitely not, uh, I call you old school, Michael, because you're a cu- couple years older than I am. <laughs> but so, some of the old old school golf pros that you know we all grew up with, like they did those things. Like reached out to uh, you know a local, the, the really successful local people. I mean, something like you know I know you know reaching out to someone like Mike about teaching. I'm sure if you you know mm-hmm. reached reached out to to you know anyone that 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 you respected in that in the teaching realm, that they would be happy to have you there. I, we, I don't see that as much, at least, Eric, I don't know if you if you feel different on that, but I feel like there's not enough young guys asking some of these bigger names to or that have been there and done it to say, hey, can I come out and just watch you for a, you know even a half hour? Yeah, I definitely. Mean, I mean, the, the mentorship is huge. I mean, because like like you said, Michael, it's it's not, I mean, you, you, you probably know everything Michael knows, you know, in terms of like skill level, but you know, watching somebody how they do something differently or the way they do it brings totally new light to things that, yeah, maybe you already knew, but you know, it's it's doing it in a different way that makes it exciting like that. So yeah, I think a lot more people, younger and older, can learn a lot more by by watching other people do things. Like Nick, the the web conference that we recently attended, we know a lot of the stuff that we heard, but the way people are doing things, maybe some new tri- tips and tricks here and there. Um, really make you, you know, think outside the box. Well, I think that's probably why we, you know, the big golf show gets as many listens as it did season one. Was that people want to hear that? They get to hear from you know people like Bobby Clampett and Chris Hart over at V One, and um, you know they get to hear from some of those people about their life experiences and what they've done. And now, you know, having people on the show like you know Michael Doctor here, we get to get to hear all the great things that he's been doing. Hopefully, it rubs off on some people. 
No, I still, I still really love the yeah, iPad idea. Yeah, the iPad idea is great. But I think you know, if you don't do those things, like I said, it's it's easy to become stagnant in in your job. And you know, I, uh, Jim Hardy was another person I got to serve on a committee with him. And I got to know him pretty well, and I I read both of his books. But you know, I asked one of my assistants one day. Uh, he liked to teach, and I said, "Okay, so how did where, how did you learn to teach?" Well, I just went out and started giving lessons. I'm a good player. I said, yeah, but how did you learn? This is why I read Golf Magazine. You know, and he says, and he looked at me and he says, I'll challenge you. How did you learn? I said, well, first of all, I grew up with a father who's a golf professional and a good, good player and an uncle who was an extremely good player. And I watched them teach, you know, and... I said, and then if you come to my house, I'll be glad to show you about 250 golf books that I've read from cover to cover. I said, I didn't learn to teach from Golf Digest or Golf Magazine. I went to five or six seminars that Bill Strasbaugh, who was one of my mentors, gave on teaching because I just became in awe of his teaching philosophies. And, and of course, and then I said, and I've, I've watched Bob Toskey teach, I, have, I was never afraid to pick the phone up and ask if I could come watch somebody teach. Um, you know, and you need to do that because you, you can't be a good teacher if all you're reading is Golf Digest magazine. Um, you know, I think you have to, you have to go and, and see the, the best of the best do it, and you have to keep improving. And, I mean, if, you know, I'm, I'm 63 years old, and I still go to seminars. You know, and I know a lot of 63-year-old golf pros who would tell you, why are you doing that? Well, because I don't, I don't ever plan to totally retire. And, you know, at some point in my life, I, I read a lot of motivational books. And Ken Blanchard, the gentleman who wrote the One Minute Manager books, is a member of mine. And I was talking to Ken. I said, so, Ken, will you ever retire? And Ken Blanchard said to me, Mike, he said, you know, he said, a good friend of mine, Ziggy Ziegler, said to me, I'm retiring. And Ken says, what are you going to do? He says, I'm going to start another career. I'm 75 years old, and I'm going to recharge myself and do something else. And, and that's how I see myself. I don't know how people cannot want to refire the engines and keep doing something. And, and if you're going to do it, you might as well be the best you can be. There's, you know, a club doesn't want somebody who just wants to ride out their career. They want somebody who wants to be um, excited about being at the club every day and motivate their membership to be at the golf course. And the only way you can do that is with keeping up with what's going on and, and, and changing. You have to change. Well, you mentioned... Um a little while earlier about some you know the highs and lows in the career I'd let, can I can we hear a little bit of the story about um one of those lows was a fire at the club um and 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 how, and, and how you dealt with that do you have any uh, advice for dealing kind of with that kind of adversity well I'll tell you that I'll never forget that day I got the phone call at home and, and a member called me and he said Mike you might want to get to the club he said it's burning to the ground and I got there and Sure enough, by the time I got there, most of the clubhouse was gone, except the pro shop uh, was still standing, but it was all smoke damaged and water damaged and everything. And, uh, you know, it was, you stood there and you looked at it, and 
we had an outing. We were supposed to have an outing that day, and uh, it was about four in the morning. And uh, so I got, I got a I, after we talked to the firemen and stuff. And of course, we knew we actually called up and got the outing onto another golf course. A friend of mine, Jack Conger at Lafayette. I called him up, and I said, Jack, do you have an outing today? And he said, no, actually, we don't. And I said, well, can you do the Bud Cooligan outing? And he said, yes. I said, well, they're coming. We're going to get them on there. So we didn't, we didn't, we sent them there, and then we didn't miss a day. We actually took, got the carts out of the cart barn. They did not, uh, they they were fine. We sent them up. We, we own an airplane hangar, and I moved all the, and then we got the clubs out of bag storage, and um, I had members playing golf the next day. Uh, the challenge of dealing with the fire was something I had never experienced. Uh, you know, when I went first went to Skinny Atlas, I think that was in my seventh year at Skinny Atlas that that happened. And, you know, at that point, I did a lot of teaching, uh, running golf tournaments and that type of thing. And then that night at our, at our meeting, they said, what, do, what can you do to help us with this? And all of a sudden, I became more of a manager and uh, assumed a lot of responsibility on how we're going to make this year work, how we're going to keep get the golf operation, and, and working with the board and uh, our general our food and beverage managers. Uh, we never missed a beat. We had a great summer. Uh, I never, you know, I, it was a challenge, but it it never that never I was not ever brought down about the fire. It was we just handled it, and uh, and we we had a great season. So that really, except the fact, yes, the clubhouse burnt down, and that was sad. Uh, that really never, mentally, it didn't bring me down because we. I just decided we had to handle it and move on, and that's exactly what we did. So, um, the challenge of doing that was uh, was actually kind of it was it was a challenge, but it was a it was a, a challenge that we handled. No one was hurt. No one was hurt, were they? <laughs> no, you know, it was. There was one scary part because when we had outings, my assistant would sleep in the. We had a, a room upstairs in the clubhouse, and whenever we were going to have an outing, he would sometimes sleep in the clubhouse. And so I was standing there, and I was looking, and I'm. I said to my wife, I said, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I said, but I have to call Keith's house and see if he's home. And hopefully he's home because I don't know what I'm going to say to his parents if they say, "Well, no, he's sleeping at the club," because they wouldn't. That that he lived about 20 miles away. They wouldn't have known about the fire at that point. So that was that was pretty scary. And fortunately, he went home that night. Uh, decided to go home, so he was there when I called. But uh, yeah, that was scary. But nobody was hurt. Thank God. Uh, the building went down in about 15 minutes. It didn't take long for the building to go down. It was it was arson, and whoever did it knew exactly what they were doing. And by the time the firemen got there, it was already pretty much on the ground. It went fast. That's scary. It, it was pretty sad. It, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was amazing to watch the members. We had members who got married there, had their high school proms there, people coming up all day and crying and. Uh, it was, it's a very much a community course at that time, and a lot of people, a lot of great memories, and uh, that was very that was sad to see that you know, what they what the membership went through. But we have a beautiful clubhouse now, and and, and a great facility. So in well, in the end, it was it was good, it worked out. 
on a on a happier note, Eric, uh, Michael, you've won. I know you don't do it for the awards, but I think you've won every of every award in the section, and then you're in the Hall of Fame, and you got a couple national awards. You got the Bill Strasbaugh National Award, right? Yes. And now this. Uh, are you gonna, you going to try to go for the Grand Slam? <laughs> the Grand Slam. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I uh, once you win the golf pro of the year, that's it. That's um, it. But I will be going into the National PGA Hall of Fame, and that is um, in I, I think in two years, uh, and that's that to me is is beyond belief. I, I can't believe. First of all, I never ever thought I'd win a national award, or re- I should say receive, because I don't think you win awards. I you know I receive the awards and. And I've been fortunate enough to receive awards, and, and you don't do it for the awards. And as I said to my section, when I found out I got the Golf Pro of the Year, I was accepting that award for every PGA member in my section and throughout the country that I was given the opportunity to serve. And uh, my section has been so supportive of everything I've ever done and given me the opportunities to serve, and, and that's... and. and and if it wasn't for them, I would never have received this award. Or, or my club, my club again. They they gave me the opportunities to do what I wanted to do. Um, you know, so I've been very fortunate. And uh, and as I said to them, and I share I share that award with every PGA member throughout the whole association because that's that's why I do what I do to help my fellow members and to try to make the association a little bit better. Well, a big congratulations on making the, the National Hall of Fame. That's uh, thank you, thank quite you. an honor. Yeah, and Eric, you know, uh, it's you know, it, it, to, to think that your your name will be there with Bob Ford and Bill Strasbaugh and you know uh, Craig Harmon, uh, people that you know I never I, I look up to every day. I mean, these people are the best of the best, and uh, what an honor to think that you're you're there with them. You know, uh, Michael. Everything, everyone that we talked to that you know has won a lot of these um, awards. Like you know, I know we, last year we did with Merchandiser of the Year. Uh, I think we had Horton Smith Award. We had Carl Alexander on. Um, they, uh, everyone, always talks about the support group. You know that they have that it's never a one man show or one woman show. Um, you know, is that something that you that you really seek after, Michael? Like really trying to find really good people that you can rely on uh, to do certain things. I know you mentioned your assistant that does you know tournaments really well, and then you have a really great merchandiser. Uh, I think it was George Carhoff last year who we we interviewed that did mer- uh, was merchandiser of the year. He he talked about he tries to fill those those slots. Uh, you know, he looks for those people, like his weaknesses, and to fill those. Is that something you mm-hmm. you actively do, or is that just instinctual? Do, how, how do you you know do you hire for those positions? You know, it, it, you do. Uh, um, you know, there's some things that I do extremely well, and there's some things I don't do extremely well. Um, and I do hire. I have always hired to people to fill my weaknesses, and. Uh, you know, Tony, who's been with me 13 years, um, when I have a computer issue, I go to Tony. Because <laughs> if you put me on the phone with the point-of-sale people, 
they've got a long afternoon ahead of them because I'm, I'm just not uh, that computer literate. I can move through the programs. I can run the programs. But when it comes to solving problems that might come up with the program, Tony can do it in a quarter of the time it might take me. Um, you know, I, I don't play much anymore. So the assistant who, who just took his first head pro job that just left, uh, Mike was a good player. And Mike liked to take people to pro-ams and things like that. And my back doesn't allow me to play like uh, as well as I used to play, nor play without pain. So Mike filled that void for me. I was able to have Mike take teams to pro ladies and to pro juniors and and uh, play more golf with the membership. So, uh, yes, I think anybody who's hiring a staff, um, my, I would always highly recommend they hire somebody who's a little stronger in the areas that you're weak in uh, to help fill that void so that, so that the, the golf operation doesn't have a weakness in it. I think that's very important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was that was a good uh, interview we had with George last year, Nick, where he really emphasized that point. So I appreciate that, Michael. That's uh, that is oh, really well, really he, good he, advice. Thank you. Yeah, I just I just feel like the 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 guys that are doing things good and that are, you know, well known. They a lot of them do the same things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they yeah, you know they probably. have I, you know I mean they're just you know you guys are hustlers. You know what I mean? You like go out there and you. You're not afraid to do work. You're not afraid to, you know, admit when you have weaknesses. And I just, I feel like there's a, 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 there's a really distinct pattern of people that do things that are very successful in the business, and and mm-hmm. there are also patterns of people that are not very successful in the business. So it's just, you know, hearing that kind of stuff, it just keeps kind of pounding into the head that um, there's there is kind of a secret formula, <laughs> if you will. You well, gotta, I, I, you know. Yeah, I agree with you, and I, I think the part of that might be because the, you know, people who are successful spend a lot of time involved in education and attending education, and they're constantly around people who are successful. And if you surround yourself with successful people, you have a chance of being successful. Um, you know, when you when you spend time with Bill Strasbaugh, you're learning something every time you're with him, and. You know, it's that's. I think that that's really important. And I think that might be where some of the younger generation is missing a little bit of the boat because they. I don't know if it's a time thing for them as uh, or not, but they don't seem seem to to uh, to seek out the the uh, the education um, programs or spend enough time around successful people or to to pick a phone up and ask if they can spend time with that person to learn what they're doing i think that um i think we're missing that in the industry right now um you know it's it's more so than in my generation i think the next generation uh tends to lack being aggressive enough to go out and attend you know my my two assistants example why why aren't you why haven't you been to a a teaching summit you know, I mean, you're, you guys are in the industry. One's been a member for 10 years, the other one five years. You haven't gone to a teaching summit yet. Why not? You want to teach, so go find out how the best people teach. You know, it's it's uh, you, we, you have to do those things. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of the generations now like to 
get all that information from their iPhone or their iPad or <laughs> try to pull it up on their computer and stay behind those devices. Well, I, so, yeah. I, I know, Eric, I'll defend that a little bit because I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just that I, I don't think that there's, there's, there's a – you can't only do that. I mean there is something – That's true. You know, I mean there's – there's a you know Google is great because if you're sitting at dinner and you don't know what weren't we at dinner the other day we couldn't figure out what some something was Eric we just googled mm-hmm. it I think it was salmon <laughs> it was a French, Nova it was it was a French <laughs> French word for salmon and we were like what the heck is this so having mm-hmm. those having those outlets is really neat um, to be able to get a lot of good information but yeah you can't replace that that one on one like you know you said you, you've you've been able to learn for some some really slick people like Bill Strasbogs and mm-hmm. like you mentioned Craig and those guys. Uh, you know, going out there and being active like that, and I think that's a pretty fair assessment about the younger generation. Is that, uh, yeah, they maybe don't do that as much uh, as they should. At least the, at least the as a whole, there are definitely some young guys out there that are really hustling um, that we see, and they're doing a great job. But as a whole, I, I have to agree with that. Well, I think that you know, and I and I will defend the web, the web because you know, I I go on there all the time and I pull up different country clubs. And I want to see what example, what what is somebody doing with club fitting? So I'll go on the sites and I'll punch up some people that I, the names I know from around the country, or I'll see a name in a magazine and then I'll punch it up and I'll read about what they're doing for club fitting. What what can I pull from that to make me a better club fitter? So it, it that works that works too. But but there's also that one on one time that that. Uh, is I think a very positive to actually be there in person and to ask questions is is very important and uh, I don't think we're doing that enough with this next generation. Uh, you know I think you know my dad's generation didn't share information. They were very protective about what they taught on the lesson tee. They were very protective of their club fitting. Then it came, I think it's kind of come, my generation was more willing to share. My generation was more willing to to share their ideas. And then you had people like Bill Strasbaugh, who was now helping these younger people out to learn more. But I think we've now come around where they're trying to do a lot of it on the Internet, but they're losing that one-on-one with the person to that can help them be even better at what they're doing. So... Yeah, but my dad's generation, my Uncle Steve would never tell you what he taught. I mean, that would have been the end of the world. You want to know what I teach? You come and I'll give you a lesson. <laughs> and my generation is is different. We're, you know, my son Jonathan said that. He said, your generation, Dad, he said, you're willing to teach people what to do and help them. He said, your, your father was not. And my dad wouldn't. I mean, my <laughs> trust me, <laughs> he, he wanted to know, and and, and yet... So I think I think we've now we're kind of going back, uh, not back. We're we're learning a different way, but we need to continue to attend seminars with successful people, so that we can hear things right from the horse's mouth and and be able to put that into our careers to make us better. You know, uh, Mike Malaska did a seminar that my son Jonathan attended at the merchandise show. He came away with pages of notes. He said, "What a seminar." loved it you know he went listened to roger warren speak about communications came away just phenomenal well not enough people are doing that not enough people are listening you know attending those things i think myself i could be wrong but i i feel that way and 
they're, they're they're trying to do it they're trying to do it more on their own and i think that's a hard way to do it absolutely okay well speaking of uh not trying to do it on your own we've got uh come about to the end of the show here michael and we really really appreciate having you on um i think we've we've learned a ton and uh, i think our audience will as well here in this well, thank so you. Uh, yeah it's it's been a, a true pleasure i really enjoyed it this was very nice i appreciate your asking me to be on the show and to take part in it and uh, uh thank you very much for the opportunity you're welcome way too fast went way too fast <laughs> um the Eric, I'll, uh, where can people find us? You can find us on thebiggolfshow.com on the World Wide Web. We're on Twitter. We're at The Big Golf Show. Um, you can also go to your uh, podcast app on your iPhone or iOS device or just go open up iTunes and go to podcast and search for The Big Golf Show. Yep, that's easy. That's easy. Easy as that. Michael, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it, gentlemen. Thank you.